Are we ready to worship our King this morning? I'm excited this morning because I know that He is good. That again, in the midst of whatever's taking place this week, I think we all can declare this to start our morning. He is good. Amen? Let's declare that right now. You are good, Father. You are so good. And so we come into the house of God this morning, and we declare that you are good, that you are amazing, that you are awesome. And Father, that as we come into the house, we choose to honor you. We choose to worship you because you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You are mighty God. You are Jehovah Jireh. We will honor you this morning because you are everything we need in this moment at this time. And we will honor you just because you are God. So let's honor him this morning. Let's worship him with all of our heart. Amen? All right. Just as we continue in a heart of worship, I want to declare this prayer out. It comes from 1 Chronicles 29. It's one of the greatest prayers we read in the Old Testament. David prayed this, and I want to pray part of it out loud. Oh, Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hands. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and give praise to your glorious name. You are the God over everything. You are the one who brings wealth. You are the one who brings healing. You are the one who brings provision. You are the one that touches us when we need a touch. You are the God that is worthy of our praise. You are the God that owns everything on earth and in heaven. You created all things. And so this day we will give you glory. We will give you worship because you deserve that honor in Jesus' name. So as we go back into worship, let's give him the glory that is due to his name. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in and out, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, I have given you its king, I have given you all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the, where's my ram's horn? On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as long and loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave the orders to the people, March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. 
Skimming down, on the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. And on the seventh day, on the seventh day, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, because everyone loves getting up at dawn, and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. And the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be completely destroyed. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in the town. If you have a wall that needs to come down, I want to just challenge you to stand up where you are, raise your hands, do whatever you have to, but... Let's believe on that promise right now. And God, we thank you that you are a God that is above all walls. And God, I thank you that you are the God of healing. I thank you that you are the God over bitterness. You are the God over broken relationships. You are the God over finances. You are the God of the problems that we can't even see in our life. And God, I thank you that you have the power to tear those walls down. God, for those that are lost, for those that have been running, God, I declare that we will continue to march until that wall falls down. And God, I actually believe that this is the seventh day for a lot of those people. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to continue. You would give us the hope to push on. And you, we would see the walls fall. And God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that walls are coming down. One, two, three, four. God, I thank you that you are a God of miracles. (laughs) And everybody said, Amen. I named my water bottle. I did. Do you want to hear what it's named? This is Gertie Longbottom. (laughs) Okay, so, uh uh-oh, am I in trouble? Oh, okay, good. I only just got started. Okay, so my name is Jen Bannis, and I'm married to Pastor Chris Bannis, whom I call Pastor Handsome. I've just been really praying about what to share with you, and God really put something on my heart. And the name that I gave for this sermon is The Four Horsemen of COVID. Dun, dun, dun. Um, And my sub title 
is four keys for staying in unity when the world wants to tear us apart. Doesn't this sound like a nice light sermon? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay, but um, so to give some context to this, uh, you know, the horsemen in this context of this sermon is going to be sort of like the warnings or the clues that we're stepping out of unity into disunity. And not only am I going to share with you what those four horsemen are to equip you and to um, exhort you, but also I'm going to give you the antidote for them. Come on. And it doesn't involve shooting water out your nose. Um, But I do want to give credit to where credit is due. Uh, when, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a clinical counselor, and so I had to go to school for 100 years to do that. And one of the things that I had to do was train in um, marriage counseling. And so um, the training that I did was something called the Gottman Method. And um, these are two uh, therapists, two uh, doctors who studied couples for 40 years, over 40 years, four decades. They literally brought couples into labs and hooked them up to stuff and measured electrical output in their urine and their blood when they were fighting. And they learned all sorts of really cool stuff about what happens when couples are connected and what happens when couples are starting to disconnect and what happens when couples are really disconnected. And one of the things that they developed was this concept of the four horsemen. And these are sort of like the four predictors that within 90% accuracy can say if the behavior doesn't change, if these predictors aren't solved, you are 90% almost guaranteed to have either severe disconnect in your relationship or divorce. And so what they did was they not only took all that evidence and put it together as the four horsemen, in other words, look out, look out, these are the four things that we can predict are going to really impact connection, but they also came up with these antidotes for them. Now, when I was doing this marriage counseling training, it was like, oh, I have that one. Oh, I have that one too. Oh, I have that one. Oh, I have that one. Oh, crap, oh, crap. And, and, and you know, here I am studying to be a therapist, and I'm like, oh, I walk in this stuff. Um, And, you know, we're meant as students to take the assessments to show the levels of these four horsemen that you walk in. And there was a couple that I was like, I'd gotten really good at, apparently, you know, according to these assessments, and I knew it. And it was really kind of a, a rude awakening for me to find out, yeah, I operate in some really interesting tools of approach with Chris, but I also noticed that it translated a lot into um, other relationships. So sort of the skills that we equip ourselves with in marriage can also translate outside of marriage. But what I also thought was really cool was the four horsemen that he describes, Dr. Gottman, um, and the antidotes, it was like, wait a minute, this is biblical, hold on a second, I know a scripture that says that exact thing. And as I started researching more, it was like, oh, science is starting to back up what the Lord has been saying all along to us, duh. And so this was really exciting for me because all of a sudden, the supernatural was coming together with science. 
um, just like during worship when I shoot water out my nose. It was so exciting. Um, and, and so today, I'm going to be sharing something that, yes, is technical, and yes, is scientific, but it's also, whoa, incredibly powerful. And so I want to I wanna go to a scripture for a minute here. Proverbs 8.1 says, Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. And so I have wisdom for you. It is calling out to you. And I'm going to ask that you, first of all, activate your spirits to receive this, but also that you'd be open-minded and open-hearted to this. Because actually, if we as a church operated in these four antidotes, we would be on fire. We'd be untouchable. And we would be so unified. And, and so I would ask that right now you'd listen as wisdom is calling out to you and that you would hear this understanding that's coming to you. So are you willing to do that? Okay, so we're just going to jump right into it. The first horseman that can show up during these cray-cray, dumpster fire COVID times is criticism. And I don't know if you've noticed that you've operated in any level of criticism. I have. So if I'm the only one, then it's good that the sermon is happening today. I can just preach on myself. But criticism, let me just give a definition of it so we're all on the same page. That's when we verbally attack the person or the character of the person. And why do we do that? Why do we criticize when we're feeling threatened? Why do we criticize when we're feeling insecure? Why do we do that? Because it's easier to hide behind the faults of somebody else and make them take responsibility. So here's an example for you. It hurts to say this. Um, when uh, the Liberal Party was first voted in 800 years ago, um, the Lord warned me the night before. He said, if Justin Trudeau gets voted in, I want you to treat him like your brother. I want you to pray for him like he belongs to your family and that it depends, his his life depends on your prayers. And I was like, I'm in. I'm all in. This is great. I can do this. You know, like, what a word. Bing, bang, boom. Um, and, of course, he got voted in. And then he did things that I didn't like. Um, and I found myself being influenced by the opinions of others and by what people post on Facebook and by what I was researching. And I found myself criticizing him. Um, you know, like using really evil words like, what a slimy, slimy man, what an evil goat. <laughs> um, and I just got really good at it. I'm just being super honest with you. I got actually better at criticizing him than I did praying for him. And there came a point where um, I noticed that my anxiety and my tension around federal politics increased the more I criticized. Um, And so I just want to go to some scriptures for a minute 
to maybe highlight why criticism is so deadly. Okay, so this is, and by the way, I don't know why I am so hooked on English Standard Version right now. I'm like addicted to it. Um, And so (laughs) every single scripture that you hear today is from English Standard Version. Um, I just really like it. So, James 4, 11 through 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. I should probably have just stopped there back when the Lord told me to pray for Justin Trudeau. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. This is why I was so stressed out. I just put myself in the position of a judge. And I don't know if you noticed, that's a lot of responsibility, and we don't have the grace for it. Because we have not been appointed as judges. Jesus has. <laughs> so I was playing Jesus. Uh, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. <laughs> I am not able to save and I'm not able to destroy, right? Who are you to judge your neighbor? It's very convicting. Uh, and then Ephesians four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And, and you know, like, I know that the call on my life is to build up people. I know that's the call on my life. I know the call on my life is to speak life. I know that the call on my life is to set atmosphere with my language. I mean, I'm a worship leader, I've been anointed to use the sound that's within me to touch atmosphere and to promote unity. But I was cursing the air with criticism. Do you know how ungodly that is? Yeah, I do. So uh, if you desire to read this next scripture, it's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Write that down if you want to. Okay, we're going to move on to the next one. I know I'm firing through this really fast, but it's because I want to get to the antidotes. (laughs) Right? All right. The next one, the second horseman of COVID is defensiveness. Okay, so defensiveness is when we victimize self to ward off a perceived attack and reverse the blame. Okay, so Chris, will you come up here a minute? This is going to be so much fun. So I... This is one of the ones that I scored really high in, is defensiveness, uh, in my interaction style with Chris when we're in conflict, okay? And one of the reasons why I do that is because I get, I feel threatened. I get scared. I feel vulnerable. So it's easier for me to rebound the correction that Chris is bringing to me and turn it on him. That feels safer. So, Chris, um, let's see. Why don't you say to me, you know, Jen, I'd really appreciate it if you'd do the dishes when you're done with them or something. Just come up with a nice correction. Jen, I'd really appreciate it if you turned the lights off and didn't leave them on all the time because I'd like to save some power. Would you like to save some Oh, yeah, like, that, like, um, like the way that you make the bed every day? 
Okay, so we laugh and it's fun, but do you see what I just did there? It's, it's super defensive. It's, I am defended. I don't feel safe. You are bringing a correction and a direction to me in love. I know Chris loves me, but I just bounced it back at him. So that's sort of a picture of defensiveness, okay? Thank you. I'm going to pull you up again. This is going to be fun. Okay, so we're going to run to some scripture again. James 5.16, from the English Standard Version, (laughs) says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay, how does that have anything to do with defensiveness? Because we have to be willing to confess our sins our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. And you know, sometimes that comes from people bringing it to our attention. Sometimes that comes from Chris saying to me, I- I've noticed you've, you've been pretty edgy lately. How's it going? I'm not edgy. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, he's bringing something to my attention. And, and the joy of my life could be and should be you're right. I have been annoyed lately, and I am sorry about that. So what happens when, when this confession process happens is that we pull down healing. We have the ability when someone is bringing correction to us, and often it's going to happen with the people that we're closest with. And, and maybe I'll just say this. I'm not just speaking in the context of marriage right now. I'm speaking in the context of brotherhood and sisterhood, okay? But I'm using the context of marriage because this, this is where my sins get brought up the most. <laughs> um, okay, so I have this joy of being able to hear from Chris what's coming up and out of me and for him to bring a kind and loving correction or a, um, what is that thing? The little glass thing? That makes things bigger. Magnifying glass to my heart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, you guys, I actually have to quote this scripture to myself when I become defensive. Is, oh my goodness, I am feeling super right in my own eyes and I'm trying to turn the magnifying glass on him because I'm feeling defensive. But if we want to be a people, a brotherhood and a sisterhood that walks in wisdom, we cannot be defensive. If we want to grow in wisdom, we have to be undefended, we have to be vulnerable, and we have to look forward to the growth of wisdom in us from people bringing correction to us. All right, we're going to go to the next one. By the way, there's another scripture that I put up there, Matthew 5, 23 through 26, and if you want to look that one up, you can. Gertie? Okay, the third horseman of COVID. Dun, dun, dun. Is stonewalling. So stonewalling is withdrawing to avoid conflict and convey disapproval, distance, and separation. A lot of, a lot of people would say this is sort of more of the passive-aggressive approach. And brothers and sisters, I am good at stonewalling. Okay, so Chris, come on up here again. 
Okay, so Chris and I have been in conflict. We're hashing something out, and I'm starting to feel threatened. I'm starting to get flooded. Flooded just means I'm getting, like, emotionally worked up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking straight. I feel, I feel charged up. And so what, do you, what, what should we pick to be fighting about? <laughs> we should pick... Melly's been trying to convince us to get a third cat... Should we fight over that one? Okay, I'm going to show... <laughs> no, I'm just going to put it out there. We're not getting a third cat. I'm being serious. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. No. That's exactly what happens. Go sit down. Okay, so that body language that you saw, that shutting down, that blank expression, that you know, I've just voted you off the island. That's stonewalling. Okay? And um, that often, they say, happens after the other three have been practiced for a while. Stonewalling is sort of like the final weapon that you pull out. Uh, I happen to use it all the time. (laughs) Um, So I really had to work on this one because... um, Mm, it was my safety mechanism. If I shut you out, and if I shut down, and you can't get on the island anymore, I'm, at, I'm not at risk anymore. And how often have we done that as a body? I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Um, how often have we done that where it's just like, that guy is an idiot. That's it. I voted him off. I, he, he triggers me. He bothers me. We don't have, we're fundamentally different in our belief system. That is it. Boom. You have been voted out. Right? So I just want to look at some scriptures. The first one is Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, you know, whenever I think about this scripture verse, submit to one another, um, I use this word, turn towards one another. Why? Because um, to me, that is such a visual of what submission means. I'm turned towards you. My heart is soft towards you. I choose you. I value you. I want you. I accept you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, when I stonewall Chris, I'm actually defiling the open-heartedness, open-armed sacrifice that Jesus made. And um, when I turn to Chris in open-heartedness, we are practicing a reverence, a holiness. We're creating holy ground with one another when I do that with you, when you do that with me. And of course, 1 Peter 2.17, I've been using the word brotherhood, sisterhood. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Stonewalling isn't honoring it doesn't honor. 
It's dishonoring. When, when I turn away from Chris, and I actually have done that in the past where he's talking and I'm not even looking at him anymore and I'm really like stiff and unpresent. Um, I'm not honoring him. I'm, I'm actually choosing to dishonor him. Isn't this a good time? <laughs> like I said, we're going to get to the antidote really quick. All right, the last one is contempt. Contempt is when we attack sense of self with intent to insult or abuse. And, and contempt for me is very much about like looking down my nose on the person because that's a very advantageous position is to say... <laughs> Actually, you're wrong. And so let me kind of... Pastor Chris, you come up again? Are you having such a good time? I know a good counselor. You know, Jen, I feel like we have two cats already, and that's probably good enough, don't you think? They're so cute and wonderful and... Okay, so you can see, you know, the eye roll, and I'm I'm becoming a little bit more... um, What's the word? Condescending. And, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to happen out loud or with your body language. It can happen in your heart. Trust me, I've practiced being contemptuous in my heart. And I've gotten good at it. And, and so this is what the word says. Proverbs 18.3. When a wicked man comes, contempt also comes. And with dishonor comes scorn. And so this first really kind of, mm, it kind of scares me. Because if I'm practicing contempt, it means I'm practicing wickedness. And that scares me for the brotherhood. It scares me for the sisterhood. It scares me that I'm laying the wrong kind of soil for the seed that God wants to plant. And so the response to that, of course, is Psalm 123.3. Oh, be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us. For we are greatly filled with contempt. I just, I mean, I have to be so honest with God about this contempt that I often practice because it's easier for me to pull myself up into an advantageous point of being above others, looking down, knowing better, being condescending, than to be on the same ground as them because that's very vulnerable. And God is saying, uh, humble yourself and confess your wickedness to me. It's <laughs> a lot of fun. Matthew 7, 1, 2 says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Which means that, but by the grace of God, I'm in a lot of trouble if I don't address this. And it's true because when I practice contempt in my marriage, um, that's the energy that bounces around the space then. I reap what I sow. It isn't a space of safety. It isn't a space of connection. It isn't a space of turning towards, right? Okay, we're going to get to the antidotes. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay, the antidotes. So the antidote for criticism, according to the Gottmans, and we're going to get into the word a little bit too, is 
um, is gentle startup. Okay? So we talk about our feelings using I statements and we express a positive need. So, will you come up here again? You should just sit up here. Cats, okay. <sighs> this is a hard one. <sighs> so it'd be easy to criticize Chris in that and, and tell him that he doesn't have a big enough heart for cats. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to use a different scenario. When I'm annoyed when Chris doesn't put his clothes in the laundry basket, not that it happens often, <laughs> but just enough. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to use this language with Chris. Hey, Chris, um, I'm feeling frustrated that laundry isn't in the basket. Um, I would appreciate it if you'd put it in the basket when you're done with your clothes. Would that be okay? Yes, Jen, I would love to put my clothes in the basket for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, thanks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, the idea is, is that when we're in conflict, instead of turning it to you are this, you did this, I feel this way, and no, I feel mad when you act like a dum-dum is not appropriate language. <laughs> I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now. And I was wondering if we could um, talk about this particular topic. So you know how sometimes we can come in with guns blazing? Let's try being a little more gentle and bringing it back to us. So there's a scripture, Proverbs 15, one that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So I'd say that's pretty good scriptural backup, hey? Okay, defensiveness. This is a hard one for me. This is where I get to take responsibility. Maybe I don't want Chris up here. What? Okay, but here's the next step. You guys, this is hard. I'm not even kidding you. You have to accept the person's perspective. I didn't say you have to agree with it, but you have to accept it. Even if you fundamentally disagree with it. And when you accept a person's perspective, that doesn't mean that you're saying, yes, I believe the same thing as you. But in order to disarm defensiveness, we have to take responsibility for our role in what's happening between us and the other person. And we have to offer an apology for any wrongdoing. Actually, you know what? I'm going to bring Jim up here. You can sit down. You've been very helpful, Pastor Handsome. <laughs> Do you know, Jim talked about apologies. And he talked about taking responsibility, right? Okay. Do you remember when you <laughs> preached that? Can you give us an example of what it would look like and sound like for you to take responsibility, accept someone's perspective, and apologize for any wrongdoing, even if fundamentally you don't agree with them? Yep. Okay. Um, the, the first thing 
always in my own life is to recognize that I actually didn't do everything perfect, right? So if I've got like 1% wrong in this thing, 1% of, of a situation that I can own, then I can own it. And so the first thing I would do uh, is recognize, number one, that the person is hurt or is, is inconvenienced or something, and I can apologize first for that. So, uh, you know, if it, if it was, say, say I came late to something you were doing, and then you said to me afterwards, Jim, you know, I... It was really disturbing when you when you came late, and I, I kind of needed your support and whatever. And and I could say, you know, I came late for a lot of really good reasons. Okay, so I could I could just give you excuses, but I can also just look and say, oh, I'm I'm really sorry that 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 inconvenienced you, even though I I feel like honestly, first of all, you told me ten thirty, not ten o'clock, <laughs> and I was there at ten fifteen. So this is your fault, not mine. But I can still own the fact that I disappointed you. And so I can say, I'm, I'm really sorry that that inconvenienced you and, and disappointed you because I really do want to show you my support. And remember that there's, there's like five different things we could do. So I can also ask her, you know, whether I can make it up to her. Um, I can ask her, Jen, will you forgive me? Which now gives her all the power in this relationship again, in the middle of this thing. And, and so will you forgive me? I did right when you came right up here, right now. Okay. Yes, you can go now. That was really good. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. I'm going to stop right there for a second. If somebody's coming to you and, and you can humble yourself. Remember, he's just doing this between you and him. If you can humble yourself and listen to that person, you've gained your brother. Now, this is a huge deal because right now, do you know what we're contending for? We're contending for brotherhood. And so, defensiveness is one of those ways that we pull on the strings, the ties of brotherhood, and we weaken it. And, and the scripture is saying, listen, the kind of brother that you want is when, when you go to him, he listens to you. And, and Jim just gave an example of where, yeah, he was, he was justified for the reasons why he was late, but he chose to take responsibility for his 10%. And, and I, I just really want to clarify for a second, because the counselor in me always feels a little like spidey sense go when I say this. If you're in an abusive relationship, please don't continue to submit yourself to sin, to abuse. If somebody's abusing you, that's sin. Don't submit to that. Okay? So that's just my counselor spidey sense saying, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. When, when you submit yourself to someone, you, you're submitting to two people loving one another equally, according to the love of Jesus. Anyway, I just need to say that. Okay, stonewalling, the antidote. I've been practicing this one. Have you noticed a difference, Chris? Am I less stonewally? Okay. Okay, <laughs> so this is interesting because look at what the antidote is for stonewalling. It's physiological self-soothing. What even is that? Take a break, spend some time doing 
something soothing and distracting. So I'm going to use a scripture to explain this, okay? In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So here's what happens when we're triggered or when we're worked up or when we're feeling vulnerable in conflict or in interactions with people is that our body has almost like a threat response. And when we're feeling threatened, all sorts of stuff happens. Our heart starts beating faster. Um, Our logical part of our brain goes offline. And just like this scripture says, we start to feel like we're a, a broken city and we don't have any walls. And so what do we do to try and save ourselves and protect ourselves? We build stone walls to shut people out. But you need to understand that when, when you stonewall, it's a, it's a defensive response to feeling triggered, and it won't promote connection. It won't promote healing, and it'll entrap you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the key, actually, to dealing with stonewalling is to step away from the interaction and turn to Jesus and let him bring you safety and bring you self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It also means that we're responsible. We are responsible for our triggers, not the person that you're having the confrontation with. They are not responsible. You are. And there's, there's a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when I interact with the Holy Spirit, when I confess that I'm feeling triggered, when I confess that I'm feeling unsafe, when I move into Jesus for safety and I practice self-control that way, I can come back and I can connect without feeling like I have to build my own walls to be safe. Does that make sense? This is powerful, hey? Contempt. Ooh, I just love this one. I get so excited about this one. We get to do this together. Do you know the antidote to to contempt is to build a culture of appreciation. Hallelujah. We can do this. We can do this. Okay, we get to remind ourselves of each other's positive qualities. We can find gratitude for each other's positive actions. Do you know there's this thing that happens in the brain where when you start dwelling on the negatives of people, your brain will start to look for evidence to prove that theory. So the more that you pull on the evidence, the more you get stuck in a negative feedback loop in your brain, and eventually you start to create neural pathways in your brain that are all negative electrical energy. And if I could get a little woo-woo with you for a minute, the demonic love that. They're very attracted to it. But you know what the angelic loves is when we create a culture of gratitude about one another, about you who are fearfully and wonderfully made, you who have the mark of Jesus Christ on your life, you who have spiritual DNA. I can find something amazing to say about each and every one of you, even if you're acting a little awful. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 
5.18 says this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let's say that again. Give thanks in all circumstances. So that means that when I am fighting with Chris and I'm feeling contemptuous, as in, actually, you don't know. Here's why. Here are all the negative reasons why you don't know. Um, The charge to me is to give thanks for Chris, to give thanks for his beautiful qualities, to stop and take a breath and lean into um, how God sees him in this moment, to lean into how God sees his destiny. We have got to look at one another through the destiny of Christ. This is how we, we start to create a culture of gratitude that invites the heavenly Do you know, we pray a lot, we sing a lot. Let your glory come down, let your glory fill this place. And and then I think, how often am I contemptuous shortly after that? And so if we want the glory of God to come down, we got to create a culture of appreciation that says, yes, Lord, we see what you've done. Yes, Lord, what you've done is good. And yes, I will see people and speak of people and approach people and treat people and think of them uh, the way you do. This is worship, and this will break the power of contempt in our brotherhood and sisterhood. All right, people. Now, this is where it gets super personal. Um, About a year ago, July of uh, 2020, um, the Lord really just, like, got in my face about contempt. Um because COVID was just sort of getting me worked up. And the way that I was coping with it was by sneering at what I didn't like everybody else was doing. And God had a conversation with me about it, and I posted about it on Facebook. And I felt like the Lord told me um, to submit this to you guys. So it's been a year. And a little bit. And I'm still working on it. I'm still working on contempt as one of my defense mechanisms. Just to be honest. And this is what the post said. I don't have it on this, the thing up here. I've been thinking lately about contempt. So my definition of contempt is this. When you position yourself higher than another person and it results in disdain towards them. The dictionary defines it as the feeling that someone or something is unworthy of one's consideration or respect. Recently, one of my Facebook friends posted that if her friends here on Facebook had voted for a certain party, they could go beep themselves because she had no use for them anymore. I felt so sad because I'd voted in good conscience for said party, and I just quietly unfriended myself. I didn't like how it felt to be treated with that kind of contempt, and I actually felt so gutted by it. Man, when that contempt is directed at you, it hurts so bad, and it was probably good for me to feel that. Sidebar. The thing is, I do it to people too. I don't use F-bombs and dramatic Facebook posts, but I do it. I just get quietly guarded. I vote them off the island of my mind, and I choose to distance myself. Goodbye. I harden my heart towards them. And I've been asking myself, why do I do that? Why? 
I think, because I'm scared. When I don't understand someone's position on something, especially if they've become heated, confrontational, irrational, that never happens right now, hey? It feels unsafe. It's easier for me to get hard in the heart and push them away than to stay soft and curious. It's so vulnerable. I'd rather be on top with contempt than feel at risk with an open heart. I've been praying about how to heal from a contemptuous heart, like really praying. Like if I don't heal from this, the great divide in this nation cannot heal kind of prayer. A few weeks ago, God spoke to me, like he spoke to me, and he said, from now on, I want the response in your heart about any person you encounter to be I have nothing bad to say about them. Your thoughts of them must be the same. It was like lightning hit my heart. I felt so grieved about all the times that I hadn't done that, all the times I'd been the unsafe person. I'm supposed to be a counselor. I'm supposed to be a pastor. And I placed myself above others. Forgive me, Lord. In Christian faith, faith, no one is below No one is above. Everyone has a seat at the table. I really need to capture this. I need to capture this in my heart. Jesus did this. He made himself a servant, and he died when we were all his enemies. So we could be at peace with one another and with him. Nobody has done more than he did for the cause of peace on earth, and he is my standard. Please pray for me. This is such a tumultuous time, and I don't want to misrepresent Jesus or fail at this incredibly imperative mission God has given me and God has given the church. So I want to close with this prayer. Um, It's called Love Lusters at Calvary. Um, And I have this book that I read from every day. Okay, so the book is called The Valley of Vision. And... um, I felt the Lord prompted me to buy this book at the beginning of 2020. And it has these prayers that they've recovered, Puritan prayers, like these prayers are like hundreds of years old. Um, and, And this one has been my prayer lately because, you know, we talk about these, these four horsemen, right? We talk about the antidotes. I actually can't do those antidotes without Jesus. Like, let's get real. I cannot. Um, I'm a little too human still. (laughs) Um, And so there's this beautiful prayer, Love Lusters at Calvary, and I can't get away from it. I've been, like, reading it every day, and it's my standard for how to operate in these antidotes. And um, my father, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips. Supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. Their grace removes my burdens and helps them on thy son, made a transgressor, a curse, and sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man thy fellow. There thy infinite attributes were magnified and infinite atonement was made. There, 
infinite punishment was due and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy, cast off that I might be brought in, trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend, surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed, wounded that I might be healed, a thirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made a shame that I might inherit glory, entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept all that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem, bowed his head that I might uplift mine. O Father, not thine only Son, that thou mightest spare me. All this transfer love designed and accomplished. Help me to adore thee by lips and life. O that my every breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight as I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood. Hell's gates closed, heaven's portal open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. (sighs) Amen. And so we have these four horsemen, and we have these four antidotes, and only through this process are we able to enact that in our lives. And I'd just like to pray a prayer blessing over you because this was a little heavier of a message. It had content and meat to it, and it wasn't so prophetic, but it's so valuable. And it's great seed, and it's actually a key for us to operate in a kind of energy, heavenly energy, that could change this world. If we will do it. And so I would like to pray a prayer of equipping over you that you could operate in these antidotes, that you could see when you're operating in them, um, when, when you're operating in the defensive mechanisms, and that you'd have the grace and the joy to choose brotherhood, to choose Jesus, to choose the cross, to choose an atmosphere of overcoming. And so if you'd like to stand, I'd just like to pray for you. And in a minute, we're going to invite up the worship team, and you're going to get a chance to pray. So those of you that, why don't we just bow our heads for a minute. Those of you that just really feel like you need to be equipped to operate in this, like God is just really putting it on your heart to grab hold of this, put up your hands, and and just, that's your confession to the Lord right now, okay? Okay. All right, thank you for your hands. 
And so, Lord, right now, I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters that have said yes to the brotherhood, (laughs) yes to the atmosphere um, that's going to change this world, yes to an atmosphere that will lay good ground for your glory to fall. And, Lord, I I confess we're human, and sometimes we don't do things well, and sometimes we're defensive, and sometimes we practice contempt, and we confess that to you right now. And and we want to be such a reflection of your grace and your love and the way that you turned your heart toward us on the cross, but we need your help to do that. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that a holy, holy, holy grace would fall on this place, that it would just absolutely sit in people's brains and in their bodies and in their emotions, and they would just feel so endued with power from on high to be able to do this well, Jesus, that we would practice this over and over and over and over and over again until we get so good at it that we'd be just a culture of brotherhood that absolutely loves one another deeply and loves the world and and loves loving people the way that you love them. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I just pray a stirring up in people's spirits to be able to do this, to be able to grab hold of this. I ask that this seed would be planted in good soil and that it would bring amazing fruit, fruits of um, self-control, fruits of love, fruits of patience, fruits of graciousness, fruits of humility. I thank you so much, God, that according to your power, according to your grace, we can do this. And so we just open up our hands and open up our hearts and we receive this anointing, this baptism. Now, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And why don't you just stay standing because I know that some of you maybe feel like you got to push into this a little bit. you got to press into this. you got to contend for this a little bit, not only for yourself but for others. We are going to make room in our hearts. We're going to sort of grab hold of this antidote and clean up and clean out the stuff that's kept us from turning towards. And I'm going to just say, Take some time and work this out with Jesus in your heart. Take some time to invite him to talk to you about this and to stir it up, to stir up your faith, to stir up your grace, to stir up your hope. And then I'll hand it over to Chris to close. Well, amen. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you do in our lives. And we need you to make this possible, to shift, to change our hearts, As we draw closer to you, we know that you can give us the tools that will help us to love others. So God, we pray that you would just help us to love the body of Christ, to be the body of Christ. In Jesus' name.